Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Flip, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are newlyweds who like to shoot the shit about movies. Yes, yes we are. And today uh, is a very special episode because we're, we're not going to be torturing each other by introducing each other to new movies. We are going to be talking about a couple of movies that we saw together yes. in the movie theaters recently. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, as well as Dr. Sleep. Yes. So I'm very excited to talk about these because these were both uh, pretty good movies that we saw. Yeah, definitely. We were both pretty excited to see. So um, this is going to be a non-spoiler episode. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details like how we do no. with our other reviews for older movies because we don't want to, you know... Spoil. Right. We want you people to go out and give these these filmmakers your money because they... Yes, this is. This would be very different if it was like, oh, this the emoji movie. We're just going to spoil it because none of you're going to see it anyway. Right, right. I mean, that's fair enough. But no, these these movies are really, really good, and they deserve to be viewed in the theater. Especially Doctor Sleep because Doctor Sleep hasn't made enough money yet. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that because that's such a weird, like that's that whole thing is so weird to me. But anyway, uh, but we're definitely going to get into that. But before we do, I think. I thought of something while we were in the theater watching these movies. I kind of want to talk about the trailers we saw. Yes. Because I feel like such a big part of going to the movies is the trailers. Yeah. And it's Especially kind of... for people like us who love movies and love, you know, yeah. getting into them. And, like, literally Scott and I are always, like, when we see trailers, we watch it. And then at the end, look at each other's like, eh. Or, like, oh, it looks good. Oh, it looks terrible. So we figured... Yeah. We saw a lot of trailers between these two movies, uh, especially JoJo. When we saw JoJo, there was like 15 fucking trailers. Well, yeah. It was bizarre. Well, when we I saw was jo- like, oh my god, it's not ending. Well, because we saw both of these movies twice. Right. We saw them both twice. The first time we saw JoJo, it wasn't as bad. But this no, one, I this think- first, second time we saw it, there was like 15 trailers yeah, on it. Yeah, so many. I don't know why. But anyway, we saw some good ones. We're not going to talk about them all. We're just going to talk about like the ones that we really want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so the first one up is uh, Bombshell. Directed by Jay Roach, who did, like, the Austin Powers movies and Meet the Fockers and Meet the Parents. And now he's doing this, which it's basically... Yeah, it's the Fox movie, right? Right. It's about, like, the Fox News kind of scandals surrounding the women that work there. Well, John Lithgow's playing Roger Ailes, and then you have three women that worked at Fox News. Uh, Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, Nicole Kidman, and Charlize Theron. Yes. And it's getting a lot of Oscar buzz, so I feel like I'm probably gonna want to see it but i don't know i don't know if i like i I, the trailer's like eh. it seems i feel like they're just kind of because at one point they play uh that billy eilish song bad guy it's like you know it's like the hot song right now and it's like okay you're clearly just like shoehorning that in because it's like you know what i mean yeah because i think when they played the song in the trailer it implied that because it starts with roger ailes and he's the bad guy Mm. But then also all these people at Fox think, because I think it's about a woman coming forward saying Roger Ailes sexually, you know, uh, Me Too movement, you know, and it was like, so he's the bad guy, but then the Fox News people think they're the bad guys for talking about Roger Ailes, their boss. Right. Because there's the whole thing, they're passing out support Roger shirts. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's got a, definitely got potential to be good. At least as far as the acting is concerned, if nothing else. Yeah, 
There was a couple other Oscar movies we got trailers for. There was a uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yes. Which I'm super excited about. Yeah, it's Hank's playing fucking good, I feel Mr. like. Mr. Rogers. Yeah, that's going to be good, I feel like. And I, I was worried at one point because I wasn't sure, like, because we had the Mr. Rogers documentary, documentary last year. Last which was year. great. I'm like, how is this different? But then I've heard talk from people coming out because other people have had that question. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Rogers is more of a supporting character in this story. Right. Well, he, I think he's he's not the whole thing because I think it's partly about him, but it's also partly about the guy that's interviewing him yes. and kind of seeing it through his perspective. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's going to be pretty good. I think I'm excited about Tom it. Tom Hanks looks great. Yeah, he does look great. And then um, there's another one that's getting some Oscar buzz, Just Mercy, with yeah. Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. And that looks like a pretty uh, emotional drama. Yeah. Which is interesting because I'm not sure this isn't his first foray into drama. Who? Uh, Michael B. Jordan. Oh. Because he's a young actor and well, yeah. he's gotten a lot bigger recently with the action stuff. Yeah, he was in a movie. Not a lot of people have talked about it from what I what I know, but he had he did a movie called Fruitvale Station. Yes, and it was he did really great. It was about a guy that was uh basically he was killed by the police, and he he did really great in that. So it's not like he's adverse to you know, no. It's just roles. he he got a lot bigger since Fruitvale, and now with Creed yeah. and then uh, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a bigger name now, so now it adds a little more weight to it. And, of course, Jamie Foxx is Jamie Foxx. We did see a lot of trailers, but there's there's one in particular that I want to talk about before we move on to the actual films that we saw. Yes. Uh, I kind of want to talk about the Birds of Prey trailer. <laughs> I want to discuss it. Because, like, here's the tea, guys. I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't. And I... I Honestly, if Ewan McGregor wasn't in it, I probably wouldn't care. But Ewan McGregor's in it, I, I, so I want to see it. Who's he playing again? Oh, Black Mask. Yes. Because here's the thing, like, you know, so you Margot were, Robbie in um, Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad was... The best part good. of Suicide yeah, Squad. Yeah, she was good in it. Her and She was in Will a Smith. shitty movie, but she was good in it. Yes, her and Will Smith were good parts in the bad movie. Right. But... Ewan McGregor seems like he's good in this trailer. Like, the thing with Ewan McGregor, at least for me, is even when he's in a quote-unquote bad movie, he tends to elevate it for me. Yes. So, I'm like, I'm down to see this. Well, even if you even if you look back at the, the prequels mm-hmm. of Star Wars, he's the best part of the prequels. You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy this sin, not join them! Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness! Yes. Consistently. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why they're giving him his own show on Disney exactly. Plus at some point. Which I'm ready for, by the way. You know, so he's the best part of the prequels. I forgot that he played Black Mask when I saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Mask is... Cr- let me get nerdy. Black Mask is a crime boss in Gotham City. Basically, gets a mask burned onto his face. So I'm assuming that's going to happen because in he, this movie, because in the move in the trailer, he does not have a mask on. Right. Yeah. But are you are you looking forward to seeing it? Do you want to see it? Do you not give a shit? I don't know. 
Because they're calling it Birds of Prey, it's supposed to be about all of them. Right. Which is Black Canary, Harley Quinn. I'm assuming this. Right. Gonna... I mean, the trailer, like, basically. It, it's know, Harley. Pushed out a bunch of female actresses that are in this movie, so. But it's mainly focused on Harley. Uh, Harley right. So, I'm hoping it's not just a Harley. Like, I'm fine with it being just a Harley Quinn movie, but if you're going to call it Birds of Prey, it should be about all of them. Right. Well, I think it will be, but I think she'll kind of be like the leading force because that's what's going to get people to go see it. I guess. True. I think they even add that little subtitle, Birds of Prey, The Emancipation of Harley yeah, Quinn. Yeah. So who knows? But we'll see. I, no, she does right by the hyenas, so I'm excited about that. Right now, color me intrigued. Let's put it that way. Yes. And then, I mean, the rest of the trailers we saw, there's nothing really of uh, great import to talk about. If there was... <laughs> There was a Tiffany Haddish movie, surprise, surprise, that's coming out in January, so you know it's going to be quality. Um, but yeah, there, there wasn't anything too um, in, in, interesting to talk about, so I think we can move on yes. to the the main event here. Yes, the movies. Yes. So, the first movie we saw was Jojo Rabbit. Yes. It was written and directed by Taika Waititi. Yes. Who, if you don't know who that is by the name, it's the guy that directed Thor Ragnarok and the guy who played Korg in Thor Ragnarok. Yes. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Korg. I'm kind of like the leader in here. Over here. The pile of rocks waving at you. Here. Yeah, I'm actually a thing. I'm a being. This is my very good friend over here, Meek. He's an insect and has nice for hands. Uh, made of rocks, as you can see, but don't let that intimidate you. You don't need to be afraid unless you're made of scissors. <laughs> uh, he's hilarious. Uh, oh, he's amazing in this movie. Like, literally, when we were watching it again, I leaned over to you at one point, and I was like, this guy's a fucking genius. <laughs> he is. <'Cause laughs> he's so good. It's so insane. Like, when you think about this movie, and you sit there and you, like, just the concept of it. Is kind of brilliant in a way. Yeah. It, it's definitely like the nature versus nurture kind of argument mm -hmm. throughout the movie. But right. Well, let's let yeah, let's talk about this. So, the film is essentially about a young boy growing up in Hitler-run Germany. Yeah. And he wants to be a Nazi very, very, very badly. Yes. <laughs> but then. It's a coming-of-age story, essentially. He dis he discovers that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in the house. Yes. And it's basically just him coming to terms with not just himself, but with, like... Everything, basically. Yeah, with life in general and growing up. And it's, it's a really powerful and hilarious and emotional film. Yeah. And I said this on our other podcast, 17 Milligrams, there are a short list of films that uh, have made me hysterical laugh and also hysterical cry, and this is one of them. And I think that that says a lot. Um, Indeed. But let's, let's talk about what we can talk about with this movie, because, again, we want you guys to go out and see this movie. It is getting a lot of Oscar buzz. God willing, it gets nominated at least for, for something. I think it will, definitely. But I, I hope it wins for something. At least yes. adapted screenplay, because it is adapted from a book called Cajun Skies. Yes. I think Taika will definitely get nominated for director. I hope so. I think he deserves it. The cinematography in this is great. Yeah. The acting in this is fantastic. The music is yeah. amazing. So let's, let's talk about this. So the acting, first and foremost, I think 
really carries this movie. It's it's so well performed. And the thing is, there are two younger actors. There's Roman Griffin Davis, who plays Jojo, and it's his first role, and he's only 11. And then there's uh, Thomas and McKenzie, who plays the Jewish girl, Elsa, and she's only 19. And these two young actors are literally so good. And it's I say that because, like, so many movies with, like, younger, like, kid actors, it's hard to, like, find good ones, basically. And I watched an interview with Taika, and they asked him why they thought, why he thought that Roman Griffith Davis was so good for the role of Jojo. And he said, when I try to look for kid actors, I, I try to find someone that is close to the actual character. And uh, Roman Griffin Davis, according to Taika, was such a, a genuine, like, sweet, good-hearted yeah. kid that it just made it easier for him to flourish in the role. And he truly does. Like, I I don't yeah. think it's going to happen, but I would I would not be surprised if it happened if this kid got nominated for Best Actor. Yeah. The, That's how good he was. The a range of emotions he goes through in oh this movie. God. And you feel it, like, so strongly. Is great and yeah, but not only just that. Like he's got some nice little one-liners in there. That yeah, it's also great. that's the thing I love about this movie too. Like I said, it's just it's funny as well as dramatic. It's yeah, and I feel like that. I love movies like that because it just it brings to light how important it is to kind of marry the two, like comedy and and drama, yeah, and how effective it is. Because even, like, Taika said in an interview, he said, like, you know, that's the best way to, you know, making a comedy about World War Two and Nazis, it's not exactly, like, the first thing you think of. No. Like, you know, it might seem a little dicey to some people, but if you, the best way to knock down the idea of Nazism is to poke fun at it. Yeah. And it's true. Because it's a ridiculous thing, but... Oh, it's in It's insane. But he does some great things with it, and and he also plays the role of Hitler yes. because uh, Jojo has an imaginary friend who is Hitler, and he's played by Taika. So while just picture this grown man while he's directing this film, dressed full in Hitler garb with the mustache and the outfit. And oh my like, god! It's just hilarious, and it's it makes total sense. Like the whole thing. The two of them were amazing together. They had great chemistry. Oh, Taika and Jojo? Or? Well, uh, I was talking about Jojo and oh, Elsa. Oh, Elsa, yeah. But Taika and Jojo had great chemistry. Everybody had great chemistry. It really, yeah. Like, the casting was really, really good. Even this. the other kid who I... Oh, yes. The, there was another child actor in this, uh, Archie Yates, who played Jojo's best friend, Yorkie. Yeah, I know. It's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. It's also his first role, and he was great. He had so many funny moments, too. He was kind of like the comic relief. Yorkie was amazing. and He was so cute. He's like this, I mean, not to be mean, but like he was this pudgy little like cute kid with glasses. He was this so pudgy, cute. bumbling, cute kid with glasses. Yeah, he's absolutely adorable. Who kind of just gets dragged along in this adventure. But the adventure. in this, pretty much from top to bottom, is great. Oh, yeah. Um, we have ScarJo, who plays JoJo's mom in this, who I think deserves supporting actress for this role. Yeah. Uh, we have Sam Rockwell, who plays uh, a Nazi captain. Sam Rockwell really does... He, like... Nothing yeah. wrong. Like, he is... 
he, like right, especially lately. Yeah. He is like on his game, like picking movies and being like, "This like, is remember, boom, boom, boom." Was it last year? Three billboards outside he, of Ebenezer. Easier last year, the year before that. When we saw that in theaters, I was like blown away by him. He was really good in that too. And then yeah, now this is like he's just like been totally elevated. And, and the other thing an is, actor. if you look at both those three billboards and this character. Mm-hmm. Are both very troubled characters. I mean, yeah, they're they're characters who you, by all accounts, should hate, but then you see kind of things from from their perspective, and you you see them as not all horrible, and like there's no. still a human being somewhere in there. You and know that's what I mean? that's the other thing about Taika is I feel like Taika gets a realness about his movies. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is this felt very real. And that's when you when you combine comedy and drama, I feel like that's a great thing to do, and he does it so well here. Yeah. So, think, yeah. Uh, so let's still talk about the music in this. Oh, God. Because so I feel like that is almost like its own character in this movie, oh, yeah. the, the music. So right when you open up the film, mm-hmm. it opens up on... A Beatles song. Right. But in German... <laughs> like i want to hold your hand but in german i think it, it yes it and, is i uh, want to hold your hand in german it's so it it just sets the tone because it's like a poppy like da, 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 well, but it's like you kind of find yourself in well yeah because, well it's funny because the whole thing i guess is the only real part we're gonna get into like it's set to the german propaganda videos of everyone like going crazy for hitler yeah, and yeah. stuff as the song plays, which is very funny because that's how people used to react to the Beatles. To the Beatles, right? Yeah, so, that was funny too. I'm like, that's a that's a funny like cut. Like, yeah, Hitler was like the Beatles for Germany, kind of. And then at the end, they do a similar thing where they play uh, David Bowie's "Heroes" in yes. German. That's kind of signifying like the end of the movie. But I mean, it's yeah. it's a happy ending. For the most part, it's happy, but there, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of uh, craziness and unanswered things of like what's coming next. I guess you could say. Yeah. But it's a really nice moment at the end because while that's while that song, which if you haven't heard that song, it's I mean, where have you been hiding under a rock somewhere? <laughs> but it's even in German, it you just get like the power of it. Yeah. And it goes over the poem at the very end before the credits. Mm-hmm. Which I have referenced in 17 milligrams, but I'm just gonna repeat it here sure. because I just love it so much. Because even when I watched it again and I saw it, it like gave me chills. So, this is a poem by uh, Rainer Maria Rilke Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going, no feeling is final. And I just feel I like it's just so powerful and it's such a good sum up for like the themes of yeah. this movie. Because essentially, the overall theme I mean, there's a lot going on but the overall theme is like you have to live through the pain essentially yeah. in life and while it's also a coming of age story for jojo and really for elsa as well you know they're living in this horrible time in history but they're also 
finding purpose, essentially. Yes. Since we did talk about Scarlett Johansson playing JoJo's mom, I feel like that's worth just touching on because from Taika has said that this movie is like a love letter to mothers and especially single parents. Yes. And I it shows because yes. like, oh my god. The the relationship between Scarlett Johansson and Jojo. And Roman Griffin oh. Davis yes. is so strong. <laughs> Like, I, I kept saying throughout the movie, I kept looking at Scott, I'm like, she's such a good mom. Like, oh my God, it's so, they have so many good, like, cute scenes, and, like, she just loves her kids so much, but, and it's so good. But it's like, everybody in this movie, for the most part, was great. They re- reacted great together. Even, like, uh, the one point where we're like, okay, we get it, you're, you're here to make us laugh, but it's like, okay, you're a little too much at this point, was mm-hmm. Rebel Wilson. Yeah, she was the weakest. But I think it was because, like, she was kind of hired to do what Rebel Wilson does, which is to kind of just, like, be, like, the quirky, quote-unquote, like, comic relief and just ad-lib a lot. Because I think Stephen Merchant, who's also in this movie, he did some ad-libbing as well. But he's, like, more, I guess, experienced in that realm of Because he does it so well. And he's so... He plays the Gestapo in this, which I know doesn't sound funny, but it is. <laughs> Well, they they were saying because uh, we I saw an interview with uh, Taika and Stephen Merchant, mm-hmm. and they were saying at one point they had uh, I think they had Stephen Merchant stand on an apple box. He's yeah. already tall. He's very tall. But there's, the, a, there's a scene in the film where uh, he's in the he, he's in the house with Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, thank you. And he's just he's so short compared to him. So if he's standing on an apple box, which I I believe it. Like, and he's just towering over him, and it, just the visual of that alone is so It's hilarious. a great little image, and it just, it adds so much intimidation to Stephen Merchant. Yeah, he's a very intimidating character, but also funny. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it all kind of goes hand in hand. But another thing I want to touch on as far as the music before we move yes. on is Scott and I, like, found a new favorite song for yes. this movie, <laughs> and we'll, we'll play it here a little bit of yeah. it, but uh, it's, it's, called- it's so, like... It fits so well into the the movie where it was at. It's it's just another example of like how well the direction was done. Uh, another you know tick mark on Taika's direction. I think it's this whole movie. It's such a great song because uh, the song's called "Everybody's Got to Feel." Everybody's got to live. Everybody's got to live. Sorry. God damn it, Scott. It's called "Everybody's Got to Live." <laughs> yes, by uh, this version's by a band called Love. Yeah. Everybody's got to live And everybody's gonna die Everybody's got to live it was, It's really, it's a fun song. It's a fun song. It sets the tone so perfectly. But it also shows how important, like, when you pick a song. And a lot of directors, I feel like, don't get it. They don't get, like, how important it, a song choice is. Like, Quentin Tarantino, when he picks a song, you're like, okay, this is important to this. Mm-hmm. Taika gets that. Yeah. You know, and that it it adds so much to the scene, to the movie, and yeah, it's a great song. We only played 20 or so seconds of it. Listen to the whole song. Yeah, please. Please do. So yeah, I think overall, like, again, we encourage you to go see this movie in theaters while it's still in theaters. I yeah. don't know how, lo- how much longer it's going to be in theaters. But um, 
yeah. it's definitely worth it. So yeah, right now the reviews, last time we looked, according to Rotten Tomatoes, critic scores 79% and the audience scores 96%. That's, al- that's always very interesting to me. Because usually it's the other way around. Like, unless it's like... Um, I don't know, I think it's kind of mixed. I feel like for this type of movie... It's usually... I feel like it's the other way around, usually. Usually this would be like a critical darling. Mm-hmm. And the audience would be like, okay, yeah, it was fine. But the fact that the audience is so in love with this... And the critics like it, but they're not, like, overwhelming, like... You know? Yeah. Well, I... I- definitely think that overall like the reviews are positive and yeah. they rightly should be i know it's it's made a profit so it's always good that's good <laughs> money talks i guess well i think it cost uh i think it cost 16 million to make and i think they've officially gone to like 19 oh, okay but yeah so keep an eye on it keep an eye out for it for the oscars and just in general because it's it's a really powerful film yeah but I'll, I just kind of want to get into this, like, conversation before we move on, like, about how important it is to, or I guess how powerful it can be to combine, like, comedy and drama. And yes. Drama. So I feel like, especially for subject matter as, like, serious as the Holocaust and, like, World War Two, oh, yeah. like, it's, it's hard to really think of that as fodder for comedy. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I feel like some of the best movies, at least of our generation, like, have a healthy mix of comedy and drama. Yeah. Like, the first thing I'm thinking of is Silver Linings Playbook, or, like, Little Miss Sunshine, which we did on the podcast recently. Yeah. Like, movies like that, where, you know, Little Miss Sunshine, this family is completely dysfunctional. There's, you know, suicidal tendencies and drug use and, you know, problems yeah. in the marriage and all this stuff. and you wouldn't think that that could be made funny. Like you could have made something like Little Miss Sunshine, a complete melodrama and it could have been good, but I think the shot of comedy in there makes it more real and it brings it to a new level. Yeah. I, I the first thing I'm thinking of, I, I don't know if this technically counts, but, uh, pulp. Oh, sure. I mean, cause pulp has pulp's basically about hired killers. Basically. Yeah. It is a movie about, you know, and but it's got so many moments of like just comedy in there, like right, yeah. It's it's funny, and Quentin Tarantino and Sam Jackson, John Travolta. They, it's a good, it's a funny movie, right? But there's so much like hard like stuff in there. Yeah, so I think when you put yourself in a box where you have to like just kind of stick with the dramatic aspects or the comedic aspects, like you're you're limiting yourself essentially as a filmmaker in a way because like it's harder to keep somebody laughing consistently without any kind of lulls and it's difficult to pile drama upon drama without either getting bored or like getting kind of worn out you know what i mean yeah because if you combine the two there's like there's drama to kind of tug at your heartstrings and then comedy to kind of bring the levity in and, and bring of, you back yeah so then they can punch you in the stomach again right essentially <laughs> so yeah we can't tell you enough go see jojo rabbit yes please do it's great <laughs> so after we saw jojo the next day 
Yes. We went to go see Dr. Sleep. Again. Again. This film was written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who we just recently saw one of his movies, Oculus, yes. on Shoot the Flick. So it's, we've kind of been leading up to this. I've been super excited about this movie yeah. for a while, just because like I like The Shining a lot, and I also read the book in preparation yeah. for the movie, because it is based on a Stephen King yes. book, which is the sequel to The Shining. It's basically about, if you've never seen The Shining, it's about young Danny Torrance, all grown up, essentially, and kind of dealing with his inner demons in a way, yes. as well as the shining still being prevalent in his life. Yeah. And he meets a young girl who also has the shining, a really powerful yes. case of it for, for lack of a better term. And they kind of work together in a way to combat this kind of villain who's after anyone with shining. Yes. So it's, it's very good. Again, really well casted. Uh, movie. Ian yes. McGregor plays Danny, who I, I absolutely love Ian McGregor. He's my favorite actor, so I love him. And I, he did really great in this movie, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. You kind of see him as Danny Torrance at his worst and kind of pulling himself out of the darkness in a way. And it's it's really well done in that sense. And I think I, I think Ian McGregor did really well in Indeed. his role. There were other people considered, I guess. Uh, there was, it was kind of a hot role in the in the sense. That, yeah, uh, makes sense. Stephen King movie, I guess. Also and, coming off of its success and all the good yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So there were a few actors, other actors that were considered, including Dan Stevens, who played the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, okay. Chris Evans. Yeah. Jeremy Renner. Eh. I like Renner. I do like Jeremy Renner. Chris Evans is a better choice, but I don't. And a guy that you won't know, Matt Smith, who played the Doctor in Doctor Who at one point. Again, another Doctor Who reference since you flick. Don't worry, kids. I'll get Scott to watch Doctor Who eventually. We'll just do we'll do a, a first season retrospective at some point. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just I love you, McGregor, and uh, I, I think the casting was on. For sure. Oh yeah. And I think Mike Flanagan had a really a unique but kind of difficult I mean I guess it's difficult in any respect to adapt a book or any really other material into a screenplay because there's obviously certain things you're going to leave out. Yes. And you have to certain things that work in the book aren't going to work on screen. But this was another right. monster in Well because own. like the book of The Shining and the film The Shining are, at least the endings, are very different. There's so, a lot in... Stephen King initially hated Kubrick's The Shining. Right. He is softened in years. Yes. Because he came out of his own TV series of The Shining, which was a disaster. Yeah. But, yeah, the ending is very drastically different, and now Flanagan had the... Well, because he he was making a sequel to the movie. That's based off a sequel to the book. But it's also based off the book. So, and I'll say, because I have read the book, and the first time I saw the film, I kind of looked at it through that prism of someone who's read the book and just wanting to, like, pick apart, like, what was in the book and what's not and what they changed and what they kept the same. 
And uh, I'm glad I did that. But the second time, I'm even more glad that I kind of just turned that part of my brain off and just watched the movie for what it was. Mm-hmm. And even, both ways, I enjoyed it. So I was happy. But I think, I, I think he did, because they did keep the general idea of the book. There are major changes. If you've read the book, there are major changes to the book in the film. However, the basic storyline of the book is represented in the movie and the overall like feel of the book is there and um I think that's really when you're adapting anything I think that's the most important thing because again there are things you're going to leave out there are things that you have to change to kind of make it a a real movie because you have to think of that first you have to think what's going to make this a good movie. Well, yeah. But also keep true to at least the overall themes of the book. Yeah, because certain things aren't going to be... There's certain things that you can expand upon in the book that you can't really take the time to expand upon in the movie. Especially because this movie was already decently long. Yeah. So, we talked about Ewan McGregor. We also have... We have Rebecca Ferguson who plays the villain Rose the Hat. Yes, you run here. And then I will find you, and you will scream for years. Mm. Who does a really good job in this. In the book, she's, the character of Rose is very creepy, and she's been around a long, long time. She's just got this aura about her that's very, like, ancient and really scary. And I mean, this movie isn't, like, a typical, quote-unquote, scary movie. No, it's... But it, it's all about, really, the tone of it. And yeah. There are a lot of elements in this movie that kind of contribute to the overall tone that makes it very creepy and just kind of tension-building, yeah. if more than anything. But, yeah, she does great. And also, we have um, Kylie Curran, I hope I'm saying that right, who plays the young girl Abra in the film. She's 13, and this is only, like, her second credited role from what I could read on IMDb, but it's her first, like, big movie and she's she did great in yeah because um, again it's hard to find like real believable kid actors and this kid is like i feel like it's getting better though like i i mean i think it depends on the role and like you know with this role it's it's not an easy role because you're playing someone who has like you know for lack of i mean to put it very plainly magic quote-unquote magic powers so it's hard to kind of keep a character like that grounded. Yeah. But like she does, like she feels like a real kid who is just kind of trying to deal with this power that she has that she doesn't even fully understand, but she's kind of starting to understand as she goes along. So yeah, she's definitely, she was definitely good. She was a great part of the movie. I want to give a shout out to, uh, Oh, God. The guy who played Ewan McGregor's friend. Yeah, Cliff Curtis. He plays uh, Billy. who He did really good in this, too. I liked him a lot. He's shown up in other things uh, previously. Like, but he's always... He's always kind of, he's kind of a character actor who's been around. Yeah. But he does so well in this movie. Yeah. He really, like... Because he doesn't have, like, a huge role, really, in the grand scheme. But no. But care about him. That just speaks, I think, to his 
acting and his like character that he's yeah. created. Yeah, for his ability to let's hypothetically let's say what the movie's two hours and like twenty something minutes. Mm-hmm. Let's say on he's in the movie for let's say twenty minutes. Right. But he had a good role. Like he was important to this movie. Yeah. I think there are so many like cool looking shots in this movie. A lot that kind of contribute to the overall like very like mystical mystery mysterious like yeah. creepy tone oh, yeah. like there's in a lot of shots there's kind of like this like muted green like kind of yeah lighting over it again it's not like a typical spooky movie where there's like jump scares everywhere no. and da, da, da. but like it definitely evokes a feeling in you well, yeah. Also with the the music as well. But I was the music, the sound design. Yeah. Because it's not. This is different than JoJo, where it had music. This had like the creepy sounds. There was a sound that kept repeating through the movie, mm-hmm. and I thought it was brilliant by Mike Flanagan. And it was very simple. Was just, it was a heartbeat. Yeah, at certain points in the movie, you would just hear a heartbeat. Are happening. And it would get faster or get slower. Mm -hmm. But it was... The first time we saw it, because we saw it at night, we saw it at, like, 11.30 at night the first time we saw it. Yeah. That was was intense. It felt... Yeah. You felt it. And, like, also, I noticed it this time when we watched it the second time. There was... uh, And also, at a couple points, there was, like, this pinging sound, for lack of a better word. But it would... it's, It's better than probably how I'm describing it. But it was, like, for example, the first time... Abra meets Dan Torrance in person. Yeah. She uses the shining to like talk in his head. Yeah. And he turns around and looks at her and you just hear this like pinging sound. And he's get like it gets faster and faster and faster and then it stops. And it's just like it's it evokes a very tense feeling. Like, oh shit, this yeah. stuff's about to happen like this is about to happen. Like it you know, it Also, when they talk through the shining. Mm-hmm. The dialogue's a little muted. Yeah, so there's like an echo kind of. Thing. Yeah, like it, it. It's. It's like a different. It's yeah. a cool sound. Yeah. Like it, the way they made the voices sound because they're just different enough. Where I'm like, yeah, because you're not speaking out of your mouth; you're speaking with your mind. It would sound different. Right. I think it definitely speaks to Mike Flanagan's direction that he was able to not only evoke this tone so perfectly but also really he did a good job at adapting the book and kind of making like honoring the movie honoring the yes he did a good job at honoring the film but also honoring the sequel which was the book and I will say because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about it there are references to The Shining and um, there are references to characters in The Shining, and it's not—it's not overdone. It's not done in a way where it's like, "Oh, look, this is The Shining. See, see, guys, it's The Shining. Look." Yeah. It's not a lot of reboots or remakes. Not—I don't—not that this is either of those, but a lot of those kind of movies just go over the top with like the references to the original yeah. material. This didn't do that. It kind of did it in a way that was conducive to the plot. Indeed. Which was appreciated. And also, like, 
I'll say it. I won't say exactly what it is because I don't want to give it away. But one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is like the biggest reference to The Shining probably in the whole movie. So it's definitely, it's good. And it, it speaks well to not just the direction, but the actors in the film that it works well and it doesn't feel out of place when yeah. the references come up. There was also uh, the theme from The Shining plays a couple oh, of times yeah. in the and, movie. Yeah. Well, it plays in the beginning. It plays in the beginning. And, and it, then, I mean, this is towards the, end. the trailer when they go to the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. When they're on their way there, it plays there too. And, um, but both of those times were perfect and they kind of... Yeah, it wasn't... Like, they could have got away with it. I mean, maybe not gotten away with it. But they could have done it where they just play that like overwhelmingly for the score like they could have just used a lot of that but they didn't they used it when it was more appropriate i guess yeah all right so let's talk about the drama yes the box office drama i feel like that's something yes. we should discuss because because this movie and another and terminated dark fate came out i don't like comparing the two because this is good i dark fate's gotten a lot of good reviews we haven't seen it i'm not gonna judge it but both they're getting compared because Dark Fate had a hundred million dollar budget and did not, and I think just broke even. And this is just under breaking yeah, even well, with a forty million dollar budget. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like the the expectations were that opening weekend it was going to make like twenty five to thirty million dollars, and it only made like fourteen million, I think, yeah. opening weekend domestically anyway, and. I mean, me personally, I don't get it, but then again, I guess that's anecdotal because I'm just speaking on my personal feelings and experience because I was genuinely looking forward to this movie for a while. But, like, people have been saying, like, oh, they shouldn't have really marketed this as a Shining sequel, which I think is stupid because I feel like The Shining is a big enough movie. Like, it's like a horror classic. I feel like people, maybe not younger, younger people will know what it is, but... Well, you should. If you don't, you should. <laughs> well, I was thinking, well, because Terminator Dark Fate has the stink of the other two Terminators on The last two were terrible. Well, yeah. I, the thing is with Terminator, it's different because Terminator has had 50 fucking sequels and like none of them really outside of Terminator 2 has done well. No, but. And Terminator 2 was like forever ago. Well, the last two were extremely bad. Right. And. I feel like that hurt. Even if Dark Fate is great, it was going to be hurt by those two. Yeah. This one, I don't feel like Dr. Sleep. The name Dr. Sleep. Mm -hmm. I understand it's the name of the book. Yeah. It. If you just go and you see on the sign, Dr. Sleep, you would have no idea what it is. But I think the marketing, I think they made it pretty clear Oh, the marketing did, but if you never saw a trailer, or you, like, and you're like, oh, you know, and I understand because when Stephen King writes a book, he's not going to call the book The Shining 2. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. I don't know. I, or The Reshine. I feel or like they don't... Let's Shine Again. A lot or, of people... Okay, <laughs> let's not do this. So, I feel like a lot of times they don't really do, like, the such and such 2 anymore. Like, I feel like... Because I feel like people think or at least executives think that that's like, what's the word? Like isolating to the audience because it's like, oh, you have to see the first one to get this one. And like, really, I mean, 
Granted, I've seen The Shining, so I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like you don't necessarily... You haven't seen The Shining. I've I seen realize. most of it, but... Yeah. No, you said you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen the whole thing, but no. But, like, you know, like, the basics I know the of plot, it yeah. from, like, you know, just pop culture. So, you were able to Yeah, I was able to just fine, yeah. Yeah, I think I don't think you have to see the first one to no, enjoy it, this one. No, not even in, like there was no. I didn't review going. I I knew just yeah. I knew basically the pop culture and the occasional scenes I've seen over time. Yeah, like I I heard I read reports that are like oh you know forty years or whatever it's it's too long to do a, a sequel which I think is bullshit because how many fucking remakes and reboots and things from years and years ago have we seen you know it's like that's a bullshit excuse too the only thing that i read as a possible reason to why the box office was disappointing for dr sleep that might make a little sense people were saying that like maybe they should have released it more around halloween time and that would have helped i think maybe it could it would have helped a little Maybe. but i don't know if it would have made as much of a, an impact i don't know because yeah, I, I think i think the marketing was pretty heavy for this movie i think i don't know maybe it banked too much on the fact that it was a shining sequel and people would just go because of that i don't know i really don't i think it's kind of a, an anomaly yeah. in the sense that like on paper it makes sense that like everyone will go see it and well not maybe not everyone like maybe maybe they maybe that was the problem maybe their expectations were too high that they thought it was going to be a huge blockbuster or whatever well, i don't know but there that also could be the case you know we get this is the point in the time of year where you make a movie for a little lesser but you make it try and win awards we're at that point of the year right this movie was made for 40 million it's a horror movie horror movies before it horror movies weren't making a fucking ton of movie money anyway right that's true you know, it just kind of, it might be the anomaly because it made a fucking shit ton. And yeah, maybe it was like 40 million was too much. Because if this was made, let's say for 30 million, you have a, you have a bona fide success on your hands right now. Or yeah. 20 million, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think it's, it's good and it's worth sitting in the theater. Oh, it's seat. great. You know, some people might look at the runtime and think, oh shit, two and a half That hours. also might be another issue. Which I get, but but also like, it's just so immersive. I feel like, yeah. but it's it's worth it, and it doesn't feel like two and a half. No, hours. it doesn't. Seeing as how both of these movies are technically adaptations. Yes. What, in your mind, do you see, like, what makes an adaptation good, as opposed to like a shitty adaptation? What makes it? What makes a material worth adapting? Okay. What makes a material worth adapting? or what, Well, what makes a material worth adapting if it has an interesting story to adapt? To bring... Like, some stories are great, but they're better as stories because you, you can expand on it and leave it like that. But something like... Uh, like The Shining and like Jojo Rap, like that... Bringing that to the screen is expands the audience to it. Mm -hmm. You know, you want you want to take something and make it so more people know about it, and that's what makes it. That's what is worth like 
this is so great. Let me sh shout this to the world. How do I do that? A movie. Great. But what makes a good adaptation is, A, the people working on it understand the adaptation, but aren't beholden, is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Beholden to what they have to adapt. They're willing to be flexible with it. Right. Like, the, it seems silly, but one that I'm thinking of that, like, is the antithesis of, like, a good film adaptation is the, <laughs> the uh, Danny DeVito Lorax movie. Leave! Vacate the premises! Take your axe and get out! And who are you? Wait, wait, I'm, I'm the Lorax! Guardian of the forest! I speak for the trees! Oh, I was, I have one automatically I could pull that seat. So, the reason that, like, if you think about it, the Lorax, we don't know, is a Dr. Seuss character who is all about, like, keeping the environment clean and being green and caring about nature. And the film, which I think was done by, like, the same company that does, uh, like, Despicable Me yeah. and all those, like, movies. It, yeah, it's the antithesis of the book. It completely just says fuck off to the actual theme of the book. And it, it's such a wholesome, like, you know, genuine theme, and it completely just warps it and turns it into, like, just a regular, like, well, dumb, mindless kind of kid movie. Well, that's the other thing. pop cultural references and Danny DeVito and being, you know, silly. It's like, okay. Well, when you look at that one, you look at Doc, uh, kind of hat. Oh yeah, well that's another one too. But the the there there's another issue there is that these are those were short stories that they were like oh let's make a full length movie out of a book that's what ten pages twelve pages yeah um okay that seems to be a problem from the very beginning but okay one that comes to my mind right away and I'll be the video game nerd is Resident Freaking Evil oh boy. Well, yeah, I mean, pretty much most video game movies, from what I understand, are not good. No, but some are like, okay, yeah. Like, when they made Mortal Kombat a movie, Mortal Kombat was never going to be a good movie. It was going to be stupid fun. Yeah. But Resident Evil, actually done right, has some good potential to be a good freaking movie. But the people who put it out didn't understand what they had mm -hmm. and made it a dumb thing action movie where they added superpowers to people. <laughs> As you do, I guess. Oh god, I still hate that movie so much. Um, <sighs> but yeah, I think but then you have movies like, you know, like To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. And like, Great. Like Clockwork Orange. Great. And stuff like that where it's like it's just so all-encompassing. It's, it's, it's Blade Runner. Blade Runner, yeah, it's, and that's one where the, it's just a short story that yeah. it was based on, but now it's got two movies kind of based on that world, and they're both kind of, it's immersive in the sense that even though not everything is to the letter to the book, that's not what makes a good adaptation, what makes a good adaptation is that it's loyal to the overall themes and the overall feelings yes. behind it. Yeah. Or even if you want, if you're inspired by the book, but it's a different story, but in the world of the book, it's also a great concept, too. But Yeah, and I think Dr. Sleep, 
I, I think with both of these movies, JoJo and Dr. Sleep, you have to respect these filmmakers who, you know, took these books and brought their own kind of spin to it yeah. while also staying loyal to the original source material and really making it their own because they both wrote and directed these movies. Yeah. So that's just a sign that, like, they really care about the material and want to, you know, oh. bring it out in a good light. Um, so if, if nothing else, you know, not only should you watch Dr. Sleep and JoJo, but, you know, look into the other films that these filmmakers have, have written and directed. Oh, yeah. Because they, you know... Mike Flanagan's uh, coming huge, and Taika's... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Taika's going to be, you know, a very good... Uh, a very good he's like, person moving forward for like comedy and drama. Yeah, he's like as Mike Flanagan is for horror. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Taika's kind of like another James Gunn kind of. In a way, I think. His, I think he his does styles a little different, but it's yeah. But like, I could see why when they were like talking about oh, who should take James Gunn's spot for Guardians Three, Taika was the first one that came up. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Before they brought James Gunn back, and, you know, that was a whole nother to-do. Okay, so how many stars out of five would you give Jojo Rabbit? Jojo is a five out of five. I agree. I completely agree. It was definitely one of, if not my favorite movie of the year. So far, yeah, it might be. It very well could be. I'd I'd have to think about it, but, yeah, like, just off the top of my head, I'd definitely say that it was my favorite of the year. Definitely up there. And then... Doctor Sleep. What would we give Doctor Sleep? Doctor Sleep. I, I might. I'm very tempted. I'm close to a five. I would probably go four and a half. Yeah, I'm probably around that too. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, four and a half seems right. I, I was. I might even be more than four and a half, but just under five. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's around there. I really think that these are two very strong movies. I think we got lucky starting off with the. Uh, you know, who's Around this time of year, we end up going to the movies a lot because we try to see if any Oscar also, it's contenders that we can. Although, Dr. Sleep, I don't think he's gotten any Oscar buzz. I just wanted to see Dr. Sleep because yeah. I wanted to see it. Because I love Ewan McGregor and I, yeah. I like the book. So, <laughs> But yeah. So, I think if you take nothing else away from this uh, little discussion, this little yeah. retrospective we've done here, you should go see both of these movies. Yes, especially go see Doctor Sleep. It, it, it deserves it. Cause yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that it's not getting the love that I guess they expected. Well, I, I, Jojo Rabbit's but, great. Jojo like, Rabbit will deserves. Ratings wise, it's getting like it's actually very similar to, to Jojo. I think the critic score is seventy six on Rotten Tomatoes, and the audience score is ninety. So it's not like it's getting bad reviews. It's just I don't know. It's not getting people. Going out into the cold, I guess, to want to see it. We're, we're all, uh, it's also Christmas season. Everyone's starting to go buy Christmas presents. Okay. Well, if you go to see, uh, what, that movie Last Christmas with Amelia Clark, as opposed to Doctor Sleep, unless you have kids or something, like, fuck you. <laughs> but, uh, honestly, I couldn't recommend either of these movies more. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got a lot of, like, similarities. As far as the production of it. And yeah. Even those posters are both very red. Yeah, that's true. I noticed that when I was looking up the posters. Is, is red the new color instead of, uh, instead of blue? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe red's the theme. 
So this is kind of our first uh, go into talking about films that are currently out yeah. in theaters. Uh, again, we didn't do any spoilers um, because we do want to encourage you guys to go see it for yourselves and form your own opinions. This is just kind of our take on what we yeah. generally thought of the films. Um, but we, we would like to do this more if we see particular movies and theaters that we really want to talk yeah. about and share with you guys. We'll definitely do that moving forward. If there's any films that are out either now or in the future that you would like to hear us talk about or maybe go see, whether good, bad, or ugly, we would definitely love to hear you guys' opinions yes. on that. Um, but next week, I think we're going to go back to the good old format with uh, showing each other movies. Yes. Uh, I think our next two movies are going to be stinkers. Yeah. We decided we're going to do some stinkers. Yeah. Scott and I uh, do have a love for So Bad It's Good Movies. Oh, and we're going to make fun of these fuckers. Um, I- I'm excited to show mine next week. It's going to be bad. <laughs> uh, do you, you want to give a hint? Um, hmm. No, I will. Turtle. <laughs> that's my that's my hint and if you don't get it get actually ready. if you do get more ready actually that's even funnier because i think my movie that i've officially chosen also is a hint is turtle is turtle great oh that's great that's hilarious guys just say turtle over and over in your head until it comes to fruition there will be lots of turtle talk they will haunt you join this next in the next two weeks for Turtle Talk. Ooh. Here on Shoot. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, if you if you like stinkers, stay tuned because we're we're getting into it next week. All yeah. Right? And again, in 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 the meantime, you know maybe go to go to your local theater, buy a ticket to JoJo or Doctor Dr. Sleep or both. Hell, I mean I get it if you don't want to. Movies are expensive nowadays, but. <laughs> Hell, with all the AMC cards and stuff now. Oh, jeez. All right. Just go, man. All right. They're, well, they're not paying us here. We're not sponsored, guys. I yet, wish we were. Yet. AMC. Showcase. I, I, they're not listening. Anybody. Anybody they're else there. Scott. Nobody cares. <laughs> I'm waving my arms. We'll... No, nobody can see you. We're on a podcast. <laughs> no one can see you. Anyway, uh, so this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast, and I'm Frankie Sparks. And I am Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. Yes. And check out our weekly podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. Yes. Make sure you come back next week for our stinker episode, Numero Uno. And we'll see you next time.